From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. As promised, President Trump is tightening immigration enforcement. His administration will now criminally prosecute all immigrants caught crossing the border illegally and, in all cases, remove children from parents, something it had done sporadically since last fall. A new report from the Migration Policy Institute finds that Trump is also ramping up enforcement in the interior of the country. But the number of arrests still lags far behind where it was in Barack Obama's administration. The reason? More cities are adopting sanctuary policies. My guests today are Ariel Ruiz Soto, a policy analyst at the Institute, and Dean Desharo, CQ's immigration reporter. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Dean, let me turn to you first. What was the policy change the Trump administration announced last month? This was Jeff Sessions, the attorney general who made the change, and it deals with the criminal prosecution of border crossers. Right. So the Justice Department has, uh, during the course of the Trump administration, uh, adopted various zero-tolerance policies when it comes to illegal border crossers. And this latest one is a decision that uh, the Justice Department and the Homeland Security Department reached together. If you cross the border unlawfully, even a first offense, then we're going to prosecute you. Those cases are up about double uh, last year, and they, we're going to go higher this year. Uh, you, it's a, uh, an offense to enter the country unlawfully. If you smuggle an illegal alien across the border, then we'll prosecute you for smuggling. If you're smuggling a child, then we're going to prosecute you. And that child will be separated from you, probably, as required by law. Uh, if you don't want your child to be separated, then don't bring them across the border illegally. It's not our fault. Uh, and this is a, uh, a change because not all uh, of those individuals were referred for criminal prosecution in the past. They were either uh, deported quickly if they were from Mexico, if they were from Central America, they were either placed into removal proceedings or uh, asylum proceedings if they were coming to the and country. And this led to, to the asylum. so-called catch and release right, policy. That's, yeah, I mean the the term catch and release is sort of a loose term that that refers generally to the idea that you come across the border, processed by the border patrol, given a date to appear in immigration court. And then uh, released into. And they the didn't country. have anywhere to detain you. The detention facilities are all full, so they'd re- release you into the country. And there are various uh, legal agreements and laws that govern how long you can really be held right. uh, before. This was especially true of families because they have very limited detention space for families, correct? With children. And most people coming across with a child are going to be in a case where they're claiming asylum, and so. Uh, the wait time for that uh, court date is quite a long time, much longer than they are uh, allowed to hold them in detention. It's, and so that's where uh, catch and release sort of comes from. So this is where this whole um, controversy about family separation is coming up. The administration, the Trump administration, is saying we will take away and separate families if they cross the border illegally in all cases now, correct? Right. And so this was something that the department had floated as an idea uh, going back to last year. John Kelly, the chief of staff of the White House, when he was still uh, DHS secretary, had uh, discussed this as a possible uh, policy move uh, aimed at deterring folks from crossing the border illegally. And then it, it wasn't put into official policy. 
though there were reports from the border that this was happening. And then there was a New York Times report uh, earlier this year that said that 700 kids had been separated from their parents. This was prior to the uh, announcement by Sessions. Now that has been uh, made formal policy and um, we can expect it to happen in much larger uh, numbers. Okay. Kamala Harris, who's the Democratic senator from California, recently questioned the Homeland Security Department's secretary, Kirsten Nielsen, on this. Your agency will be separating children from their parents. And no, I would what we'll be doing is prosecuting parents who have broken the law, just as we do every day in the United States of America. I, I can appreciate that. But if that parent has a four-year-old child, what do you plan on doing with that child? The child under law goes to HHS for care and custody. The discussion sort of went from there into if this is meant as a deterrent, and and if so, there are lots of Democrats who believe that separating families as a deterrent method is is inhumane. It's cruel to to sort of force policy change by ripping families apart. And so that was what they were really getting at. Um, Harris sort of wanted to, I think, force Nielsen into saying that the idea behind this is to separate families. And Nielsen didn't really take the bait. And she made the point that in the United States, if a, a, a citizen parent is charged with a crime, usually they are uh, separated from their children in some capacity. Right. They're held pending their court date. Um, and where do the children go? Are they where are they placed in government detention facilities or what happens to them? Most of these kids are going to be claiming asylum. Uh, a lot of them are from Central America, uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. As asylum is a status that, that, if granted, gives them the right to stay here in the United States. Correct. That they've been persecuted in some way in their home country. Correct. They can prove that. Correct. That's a process that takes quite a long while. Tens of thousands of these types of kids have come here in recent years. Uh, many of them claim asylum. That's a very long, drawn-out process. And the Border Patrol can only hold them for a given amount of time. Afterwards, they go to the custody of Health and Human Services and uh, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which is within HHS. And that's sort of where some of the recent controversy over these 1,500 kids who the government has sort of lost track of uh, is coming from. It's not, it's, they haven't been in uh, DHS uh, Custody. They've been in HHS custody. And HHS tries to place them with families, right? With they try people to, around the country. They try to place them with families in the cases where family connections can be established. There are other organizations that take the kids. It's sort of a, a complicated process that HHS is in the process of coming up with a new system. They're 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 working on a new way of doing this that I think these this case highlights some of the difficulties that they face here. HHS in some ways in some ways says that uh, once these kids are out of our custody, uh, they're not entirely our responsibility. But the question sort of becomes whose responsibility are they? DHS has by that time sort of long parted with them, and once they're released to a sponsor, it can be hard to track them as we've seen. Okay, so we had this Health and Human Services Department official, Stephen Wagner. He testified last month before Congress. We don't have a mechanism for tracking down the uh, kids. He acknowledged that they'd lost track of about 1,500 immigrant children. Were these, the cho were these children separated from their parents? Uh, no, these aren't the same kids uh, as those being separated from their parents. These are kids who came across the border alone. They're called unaccompanied alien minors. It's a separate issue that has been sort of conflated 
uh, in recent weeks. Uh, there was a lot of uproar on social media last week. Some media reports have suggested that these kids that the government has lost track of are kids who were separated from their parents at the border. That's actually not the case. But the issues are being tied together in sort of a general discussion of the Trump administration's treatment of migrants and especially children. The 1,500 kids are uh, kids who were placed with sponsors in the United States by HHS. HHS did a survey of 7,000 kids to check up on them and see to see how they were doing uh, and whatnot. And of those 7,000, they couldn't reach 1,500 of them. So that doesn't that doesn't mean necessarily that they're lost. Yeah, I mean it's it's sort of a, a it's sort of about the rhetoric you choose to use, but I think the best way of saying it is that these are kids that so far the government has lost track of since they placed them with these sponsors. And you know, one thing to mention is that a lot of times, uh, and the government has mentioned that this week, is that a lot of times they place them with sponsors who uh, are themselves undocumented. Right. And so there's an element to this that these 7,000 uh, are subject to deportation. Well, so, they're, or at least the sponsors are. The sponsors could be as well. You're placing, right. you could be placing but them with. If they're with not a, granted asylum, the, the children could be sent back yes, as well. Yes. Yes. The, 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 the children could be sent back. The family members uh, are deportable themselves because they're undocumented. So there's an, there's, a, there's an element of it that if, you know, you didn't answer the government's phone call, it might be because you didn't want to speak to the government. Um, and that's something that a lot of folks have pointed out this week as sort of a counter to, well, they're not missing. They just might not want to respond to a government survey in this sort of hyper-partisan political climate. All right, Ariel, I'm going to turn to you about the Migration Policy Institute's new report. It's about interior enforcement inside the country, not at the border. Um, tell me a little bit about your methodology, how you went about researching this issue. Sure. So what we wanted to investigate was what have been the changes on, on interior enforcement under the Trump administration by looking specifically at interior enforcement, uh, interior arrests, as you mentioned. So what we did is we visited 15 locations across the country with varying levels of cooperation with ICE, which covers um, approximately 28% of unauthorized immigrants right. in the ICE country. ICE is the agency that, that That's arrests correct. immigrants inside the country, That's undocumented correct. immigrants. Right. And so what we wanted to learn um, with ICE or from ICE as well was trying to understand what the different policies were affecting. So we actually interviewed ICE officials at each of the sites that we went to, local law enforcement agencies, elected officials as well. We also talked to consulates, especially the Mexican consulate, who is very involved in this process. We talked about we also talked with service providers, immigration advocates and really immigration attorneys as, as well. And what did you find? So what we found was that the machinery of immigration enforcement in the U.S. interior that had been dialed down during the final years of the Obama administration has really revved back up, has been really revved back up by the Trump administration. We've been seeing this in forms of arrests, but also in terms of the detainer process that once had uh, slowly, gradually ended under the Obama administration. So let's talk about those numbers. These arrests are rising they, from early in the Trump administration to now there's a greater pace of arrests. Yes. Nonetheless, during the early part of the Obama administration, many, many more people were being arrested. The rate was like twice as great at that point. So what changed during the Obama administration? You say in the report that their enforcement priorities changed. To be specific on the numbers, uh, ICE arrests are up 42 percent, um, but you're right, it is over still... Over what period? Over the last, the first three months of the Trump administration compared to the last three months of the Obama administration. Um, and so we have seen this 42% increase, but still, like you mentioned, it's only half of the peaks in their, the two, in their 
under 2010, 2011, under the, Trump, the Obama administration. And this is because back then, about 300,000 immigrants were being detained or arrested uh, annually. And now we're seeing about 150,000 uh, being arrested uh, under the Trump administration per year, or per fiscal year, that so, is. So uh, what can we take from this? Does this mean that the Obama administration was much tougher at one point on immigrants, undocumented immigrants inside the country than even the Trump administration is now? Well, what we can make of that uh, at the Migration Policy Institute is that under the Obama administration, specifically the last few uh, couple of years, they were in trying to institute a policy of prioritization, trying to go only after criminals, specifically certain types of, of crime, criminal convictions. Now it's clear, and it has been clear for a while, that the Trump administration is, truly, is really trying to uh, expand that net of the people who they're interested in, even though they are prioritizing some criminal um, convictions and in different in different types of crime, they really have made a very public approach by ICE and others in the administration that they're really willing to go after anybody who's here um, illegally. Okay, so this is an important point to, to flesh out. Immigration enforcement in the interior of the country has historically revolved around what? Removing people who are who are undocumented immigrants who are also in prison for other crimes. That's right. At the end of their sentence, Federal agents would collect the prisoner being released and deport them. That's right. Over the long time, at least in the last 10 years or so, um, the large majority of people who are arrested or who are removed from the country, deported, um, are coming from jail-based uh, sentences. And this has changed specifically under the last couple of years under the Trump administration because some of the largest largest um, jails in the country, specifically in states that are seen as more sanctuary states, are less likely to cooperate and to help and release immigrants who are arrested to ICE. This means that ICE has to go through a much more difficult process, what they call large arrests, to try to really find those people who once had left. Right. So if you're in jail in California... California is not going to call the federal government and say, we're releasing an undocumented immigrant from a prison sentence. That's correct. And it varies, it varies slightly by states, but in California, they will not call the ICE. But ICE will request a retainer. On, and the retainer here is an important piece of the puzzle because the retainer is a request by ICE to try to hold immigrants up to 48 hours after they have finished serving their sentence. Um, before they're released. And in places like California or even in Chicago in Cook County, immigrant the, the local uh, jails are, and the county jails are saying that they're not going to do that um, because they don't really have that, that ju jurisdiction or the funding to do so. Mm -hmm. This has been a debate and it has changed. Um, it has a bigger difference, specifically in some of the areas in the South. We talked about Georgia where we went as well, and that has really been a, been a difficult problem over there. Okay, so I think it's fair to say that it's not very controversial to take an immigrant, an undocumented immigrant, who's finishing a prison sentence for a serious crime and de sure. to deport that person. But where it gets controversial is if for minor offenses, right. you know, someone driving without a driver's license or right. something or caught for on a speeding ticket. Are we, are we sensing in the Trump administration a change in that area? Are they deporting immigrants who are caught committing very minor crimes? Well, it's they haven't really released data into what type of crimes uh, they have been committed or this the people who did the poor are committed. But what we do know is that the, the characteristics are changing, as you as you point to. Um, we, ha we have seen an arrest of non-criminals of up to 146% and criminals of just up to 12%. This is why some of the arrests that are happening are because of arrests mostly of arrests of those who have no, who have no prior uh, criminal convictions. This was 
Uh, this share was 85% at the end of the Obama administration. It reduced 75% last year, and we're now sitting in about 67% of those who get um, arrested have a criminal conviction. Again, I can't speak to the detail of what type of crimes they've committed because they haven't shared that data. But in a specific case that I think is important here to discover is that in, for example, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, simply by not having a license is a misdemeanor offense that can lead to an arrest, a booking to jail. And in some of the counties surrounding the Atlanta area who have what we call 287G agreements with immigration enforcement. Mm -hmm. Meaning they'll cooperate. That's right. That they will cooperate and that they will send um, notices and attention to, um, to ICE once, uh, once they have identified someone who's here illegally. That really has um, sped up the process in some of these areas. And what we have seen is that um, arrests and detainers have grown um, dramatically, in specifically in the in the in the counties outlined in the Atlanta area, compared to other right. places that you would seem like California, for example. So we're seeing this odd uh, discrepancy. Whereas, right. if you're an immigrant, an undocumented immigrant in Atlanta caught driving without a license, you can be deported. If you're an undocumented immigrant in California who's finishing a prison sentence for armed robbery, you might not be deported. It, that, that is true. So what we, the way that we understand it is that we are now living in a constellation of policies across the, the country that make a difference in people's lives. As you mentioned, being in, even in Nashville, Tennessee, being in Nashville, Tennessee may, may make it more a higher risk for someone to be deported and arrested than, for example, in Cook County, Chicago. But I should clarify that there's also um, those the similar state prisons who will continue to do so after the, some of the most severe crimes happen. This is really more at the local county jail. So if someone's already in a state prison, they're really, they're, it's really likely that they will be referred to ICE. It's just those county uh, jails. Now... You've documented the increase in sanctuary policies. Uh, you, you say that that's a big reason why the Trump administration number for arrests inside the country is not higher. Do we have a sense of how many additional cities have reacted to Donald Trump's presidency by adopting sanctuary policies? It, it's been difficult to keep track of the sanctuary jurisdictions because it's difficult to define a sanctuary area. Um, normally, this means that they restrict type of, some type of cooperation. Some of them may still... Um, may still allow detainers, but they will not. Uh, they will only notify them on the last day. Some of them may not even have communication with ICE, like it is in Cook County, Chicago. So it's difficult to keep track of them. But what we do know is that it's it's something that we need to. Um, it's something that has been very very big issue, in, in especially in across a lot of states where where some of these policies are happening now. I just think that it's interesting to look at how. I mean, there have been movements in both directions. I mean, since since Trump has taken sure. office, California has passed new sanctuary laws. Right. Uh, and then on the other end of the spectrum, uh, in Miami-Dade, uh, they relinquished their sanctuary policies under the threat of losing some, some right. federal enforcement Right, there was a threat grants. that Congress might sort of, strip federal Right, funding. and I think that's a, what Ariel is getting at when he says that, you know, we're really dealing with a, a sort of a, a mishmash of immigration that's policies right. in the sense that immigration enforcement is supposed to be a federal function. Um, I think that you could and I think this is sort of the conclusion the report comes to is that there's this idea that because of the fight between some states and the federal government on this, that uh, it's sort of losing its identity, I guess, as a purely federal issue. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. There's there's one in, another important detail to to underscore here, and that's that it's not just a, a argument or a conflict between states and the federal government. It's an argument between counties and cities within states. Uh, that is making the issue. So, right. for example, Orange County has recently said they're going to uh, join the lawsuit 
uh, from the Attorney General against California in trying to defeat this type of sanctuary policy. You have states like uh, Tennessee, Iowa, and also Texas who have set policy in effect to say that they will uh, penalize any type of uh, government official who uh, prohibits or in some way limits their cooperation with ICE. So it's really become a conflict in multiple different areas and that has made it even more difficult to keep track of. Okay, so there's another piece of immigration enforcement inside the country, and that is in workplaces. That has typically been very controversial when the federal government has conducted what they call raids, where they'll go to a workplace, surround it, round up the employees, and, f and try to figure out who's undocumented, and then move to deport those mm -hmm. who are. Uh, that always causes a stir in communities. It, the, the businesses that are involved protest. Has there been any increase in raids at workplaces under the Trump administration as far as you've been able to tell? We, we've seen that there has been in, in indications that they are increasing. We can't tell yet by how much because this is something that has occurred before the, Obama, before the Trump administration in fact happened in the late periods of the, in the mid periods of the Obama administration in 2010, 2011, there was also some going on. But I agree with you completely that one of the things that has made this um, type of uh, policy context that we're, that we're in now is that it's so visible to communities. What we did in a report it's also talked to community organizations who said that even where people can be saved from deportation, from arrest, have changed. Uh, sensitive locations such as schools, churches, hospitals are, are, still being, um, uh, are still being protected, or at least ICE is not arresting people there. But it is still making a difficult case for people to be arrested near those areas. So this type of uh, arrests and uh, arrests that happen in very visible places, including some in businesses, are what's really making and really driving the fear among some of these American communities. All right, Ariel, thank you for coming on our show. Dean, thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. I am Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at Roll Call.